Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. This passage that we read this morning, Linda read for us this morning, is more than just multiple arias out of Handel's Messiah. Um, Handel chose these long sections at this exact moment in Isaiah for a very, very good reason. Because chapter 40 marks a turning point in that one beautifully long book. The previous 39 chapters concerned themselves with the turning away of the people from God with the fears and the political intrigue that kept the people of Jerusalem and Judah from relying on God's protection and safety. In a lot of ways, if you read those first 39 chapters of Isaiah, they read a little bit like People magazine in terms of how much decadence and uh, self-interest and intrigue and gossip and they said, and if you do this, then that will happen. It's It's like walking through a grocery store checkout counter and reading the headlines around you. You didn't know that part was in the Bible, did you? That whole part of Isaiah recounts the story of a people for whom self-interest and self-reliance had come to mark their sense of who they were as a nation, even though those exact things turned them away from all that God had asked them to hold sacred. They were no longer a people who cared for the widows and the orphans and the strangers who came among them, but were rather a people who participated regularly in the marginalization of other members of God's creation. Now, Isaiah, I mean, the part that makes reading Isaiah hard is that Isaiah calls divine punishment that which we might call natural consequences, the recognition that living out of a place of fear, keeping the resources of land and culture to ourselves, as the Israelites did, living in overindulgence rather than ensuring that we care for those who do not have access to those same resources, the ones that we take for granted, doing all of that is going to cut us off from one another, and it is going to break apart the integrity of God's creation. That's just logical consequences there. That's not God getting mad and raining down fire upon us. If you drop a glass, it will fall and shatter. This is the way the world works. And God keeps trying to tell us that. And We hear in those first 39 chapters, it's a lot of text. Any, I mean, those of you who were in the Bible study when we read Isaiah know that those first 39 chapters took us probably, what, three months to read? I think we spent a year and a half in Isaiah. And it is the story of a people who were so aware, so keenly aware of having been made in God's image And so truly understanding of how much God loved them that they 
lost sight of how much God loved anyone else. And they began to act as if they themselves were gods. They began to lose sight of the fact that those around them also bore God's image. And that God is made most fully visible in the collection of our individual uniquenesses, not in all of the ways that we are similar one to another. We hear the story of those who were so certain that they knew God, that they resembled God, that that they couldn't imagine anyone who wasn't them being important or lovable or worthy. We hear a story of the ancient Israelites, absolutely yes, but we also hear a story that continues to repeat itself throughout human history. This is a story of humanity that happens to star the ancient Israelites in this particular iteration. And we hear in it our propensity throughout history to mistake our own power for God's blessing. And as much as we might, with some historical distance, want to condemn the folks to whom Isaiah is speaking, even as Isaiah himself is condemning them, we might do even better to simply put ourselves in their shoes and listen with open ears. Because perhaps in so doing, we will hear in a very new way the words of our God who speaks comfort to a people who have known what it is to feel cut off, to a people who have known the consequences of fear and self-interest, the ruptures within their society, that ruptured in turn their relationship with God. When we can see them as us, when we can hear our own fears echoing back in words that span millennia, then perhaps we will hear today's passage in ways that actually mean something other than arias from the Messiah. God speaks comfort, a return from exile, a new journey to the promised land, a new start for Jerusalem and all of God's people, and all of the fear and all of the decadence and all of the self-interest that had landed them in this predicament in the first place has been forgiven. And there is comfort. God is still here. And yet, God reminds us, parenthesis, by the way, y'all are like grass, you know that, right? You're not, you're not gods. And this new start is not permission to just do it all over again. Making the same choices and knowing now that God will not abandon us. Okay, see, we did all of this stuff that Isaiah condemned for 39 whole chapters. I'm sure they thought of it in those terms. God forgave us, so we can do anything, right? No. Grace is not our get-out-of-jail-free card. It is not tacit permission to keep doing what we're doing because it's all going to be okay in the end, especially when what we are doing is harmful to the people and creation that God loves and blesses. Comfort, says our God here in this 40th chapter, but these people who know God's comfort These are the people who have already been exiled. 
and are on their way home. These are the people who have dealt with the natural consequences, what Isaiah calls divine punishment, of their own actions. These are the people who have known pain and who can see it with compassion and empathy where it arises in the lives of others. The people who know God's comfort and God's presence after having cut themselves off are the ones who are then called as best able to prepare the way of our God back into our world and into our lives to remove the obstacles that keep God's glory from shining brightly for all of us to see. Advent is that time when we start talking about light, the light that is coming into the world, the light for which we wait. But we forget sometimes that waiting is not necessarily a passive thing. In our waiting, we are seeking, we are examining ourselves, we are preparing in a very active way to encourage the little sparks of light that give us the hope to keep going toward the great God-light whose coming has been promised. Advent is the time to recognize the light of those who call us back to God. Isaiah and Amos, Mary and John the Baptist, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, those who have called in the generations since, those who still call us continually away from fear, those who speak truth, when we start spiraling down into self-interest. Those who open us to the experiences of people who are unlike us in the hopes that we will see and hear God moving in lives that are not our own. Those who call us back to the way of compassion and justice. Those who show us glimpses of God's kingdom and God's glory right here on earth. And more than that, Advent is the time when we consider what prophets like Isaiah are saying, not just to their own time, but to ours as well. When we recognize that the call to prepare the way for our God, to remove all of the obstacles that keep the light from shining forth, even if they seem as immovable as the landscape, that call is to us as well as it was to them. And we acknowledge alongside the ancients, the ways in which we have done wrong, the ways in which we have cut ourselves off from one another and from God, when we, like them, have a chance to choose another way, a way that we will walk with God alongside of us. Advent is that time when we examine all of the things that keep the light away, that block it from shining, the shadows that we have allowed to proliferate in this world. Perhaps this year, Advent is the time when we are finally willing to look closely and name the shadow of colonialism, which is still rampant. The shadow that does not dare shine a light and tells us that our ways of being and understanding are the only correct ways and the only ways that reflect God's will. We look at that shadow closely, directly, and we prepare the way for a God whose incarnation reminds us of the importance of doing all that we can to see from someone else's perspective, even if it makes us question our own long-held assumptions 
so that the paths before us shall be cleared and the glory of our God shall be revealed. Or perhaps this is the season in which we look closely and name the shadows of economic injustice, that shadow that does not dare to shine a light on the increasing income disparity of this nation and on a culture that still touts the American dream of pulling oneself up by one's own bootstraps while simultaneously stripping away all of the things that made that possible, taking every assistance and opportunity that the poor and the marginalized have long relied upon. We look closely without blinking into that shadow so as to prepare the way for a God who calls us to actively care for the hungry and the homeless and the poor and the sick and the imprisoned, whose, and whose word throughout all of scripture speaks to a just economy as the backbone of the kingdom, so that every mountain and hill shall be made low and the glory of our God shall be revealed. Or perhaps this is the season when we finally look very closely at the shadow of racism. The shadow that does not dare to shine a light on the myriad ways that we refuse to see and to hear our own implicit bias at work in every single thing we do. And how the words like crime and welfare and ghetto that we use are actually words that are there to deny people their humanity in acceptable cultural ways. We look closely, and in looking, we prepare the way for a God who became incarnate, that we might learn to see God even in bodies that do not look like ours, so that every uneven place shall become level, and the glory of our God shall be revealed. Advent is a time for looking closely at the things that we have not wanted to see. Advent is a time for hearing the ancient words anew, deep within our own hearts and our own souls. The call of the prophets to them as to us that begs us to turn back to God, to stop justifying our exclusion of difference in God's name and to start seeing the image of God in all that has been made and loved and blessed. Advent is a time for recognizing the grace by which we can seek the light and the need that we all continue to have to find a new way forward, to prepare a way, smooth and flat, just and peaceful, for the light of our God to come into this world, the light of modern-day prophets and apostles, the light of the body of Christ walking among us in many guises. Advent is a time for us to start anew, to seek again the light and the God who will not abandon us to the shadows, no matter what it is that we do. Comfort, people of God, for we have been forgiven by God's grace. We have been held fast by the God who will never abandon us. We have been set back on the path of covenant and discipleship. Comfort, people of God, for even with all our human failings, we are still called to prepare the way for our God, to tend the light of God's kingdom and God's glory wherever it sparks among us. Comfort, people of God, for as we bring low the mighty and the powerful, 
as we bring low the mountains and as we raise up the meekness and those who are in the valleys, as we level the playing field, we are held and supported by the one who created and blessed us all, the one whose mercy grants us new opportunities to live into the ancient promises of hope and peace and joy and love, of light that the shadows cannot overcome. Comfort, people of God, and prepare the way for the coming of the light back into this world. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.